0: What a beautiful Sunday morning we have to come together and worship God today. A fresh morning, a peaceful hour, a very comfortable environment to meditate on things of God. We have visitors with us that people that are not normally here, and we're very thankful that you're here with us today. We consider you our honored guest and hope that you will come and be with us each time that you have opportunity. I want you to look at this image and think about what's happened over time. Any structure, that, large or small, that's left vacant invites destruction. It doesn't matter how magnificent that structure might be, how well it was constructed, with what kinds of materials. Over time, the elements will take a magnificent structure, and it will deteriorate to the point that it has to be destroyed. I want you to think about this idea with regard to a physical structure, because Christ used this very idea to teach one short parable, but very penetrating parable that we read about in Matthew 12. We're going to read this parable, and then we're going to think about how this image applies to us spiritually. So let's read these verses together, Matthew chapter 12, beginning in verse 43. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places, seeking rest and finds none. Then He says, I will return to My house from which I came, and when He comes, He finds it empty, swept, and put in order. Then He goes and takes with Him seven other spirits more wicked than Himself, and they enter and dwell there, and the last state of that man is worse than the first. So shall it also be with this wicked generation. So we see that Christ compares an empty life to an empty house, and he declares that Satan enjoys working under such conditions, that he will come into a well-constructed heart, an innocent heart, and he will work if that heart is left empty, and he will bring it about just as this structure is brought to destruction, the human heart will be brought to destruction. I believe that we have greatly underrated the devil. We read about him at the very beginning stages of creation in Genesis chapter 3. And we read these words about him. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden Satan, a long, long time ago, rebelled against God, and he was cast out of heaven. He has power and deceptive qualities to come to those who are uninformed about who he is and what he does. And the Bible says he was cunning. And we see the results of how he came to Eden, to Eve in such a way that he, she, he caused her to be taken away from God. Perhaps the devil's greatest deceit has been his ability to influence human affairs without showing himself and without being taken serious. A lot of times when we mention Satan, people think about a little red man and his most dangerous weapon is a pitchfork. If we can minimize Satan's ability and think about him in this way, then we're opening our mind and our heart for Him to come in and to influence us and to destroy our heart, just as we've noticed from these empty houses. Satan knows that unlimited progress can be made if you don't care who gets the credit. Satan has been willing to destroy lives. He allows the credit to be given to things like circumstance, hereditary, heredity, psychological problems, human nature... All of these different excuses are made and the reality is we have a powerful enemy who knows how to analyze. He knows how to find our weak spots. He is very willing and capable of taking advantage of these places in our heart that are not filled with the true holiness of our God of heaven. So as he has passed himself off as this harmless mythical clown in a red suit, the reality is the Scriptures speak of Him in a much different way. Ephesians 2.2 speaks of Him as being a prince of the power of the air, a spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. You know, God is very powerful. He is completely holy and completely full of truth. Satan is on the very opposite pole. There is no truth in Satan. His desire is to kill, destroy, and to overcome people. We are put here in between God and Satan, and we are made individuals of free choice. And God wants us to choose to follow Him. But He also makes it possible for Satan to put temptations in front of us. And if we don't love the truth, if we don't have a heart to seek after God and submit to Him, then we are going to be taken down a course where this prince of the power of air is very powerful in overcoming individuals. Notice how He's described in 1 Peter 5, verse 8, "...be sober, be vigilant." Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. So, is it this, or is it this? How does the Bible describe the power of this enemy that we go against? And if we're not very careful, we underestimate what Satan is capable of doing, and we let our guard down, and that's when he comes in, and tempts us and takes us away from God, just as He did Eve in Genesis chapter 3. Notice this context, 2 Corinthians 11 and 3. But I fear, lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. You know, some people think that Satan is just in those very bad places. He hangs out in the bars... He hangs out where people are using drugs, all of these very dark and evil places. But the reality is, Satan is very crafty. And he comes to those who are, even those that are seeking after God. Who was Paul writing to here? He was writing to Christians at Corinth, just like you and I, those that were seeking God. And he said, I fear lest Satan is going to come into your life like he did in Eve's life. And because of his craftiness, he's going to corrupt your mind. If Satan can get in our mind, our heart, and if he can get a small foothold, he will take advantage and he will corrupt, he will confuse, he will dilute the simplicity of Christ. Our pathway to heaven is very simple In Christ. If we come to God's Word and we're objective and we study and look for that pathway, it's there for us. It's simple. But Satan is there to make it very complicated, to cause us to doubt, to cause us to question our faith. And so we have to be very careful that we do not allow Satan into our heart. In 2 Corinthians 2, verse 11, "...lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices." So again, Paul's talking to these Christians at Corinth. And he says, you know what? We're not ignorant about Satan's devices. You know why? Because Paul warned them. He warned them over and over again in Corinth that they needed to correct their mistakes that they needed to come close to God, that they needed to submit to God. So they were not ignorant of His devices. But He continues to warn them even after this that we read a while ago in verse 11, that Satan is crafty. What is the reverse of not being ignorant of devices so Satan does not take advantage of us? What's going to happen if we are uninformed? about His devices, then it leads us to see that He will have an advantage over us. This parable shows us that we must not just clean our house up and take the evil out of our house, but we have to put something back. And that's the point of our lesson this morning. In fact, we're going to look at this parable in three different ways. Things that are stated clearly. Number one, this evil spirit that was put out of this house, He said, I will return unto my house. So if we're thinking about Satan and how he works, he's not going to vacate permanently. We may work very hard and we may take the evil out of our heart. And we may clean it up very well, and we may let our guard down. And and what's Satan's strategy? He's going to come back to his house. Number two, he findeth it empty. And number three, the last state is worse than the first. So as we consider these three areas, we will be able to look at Satan and, and how he overcomes people. Not only is Satan real, he's tenacious. We read in Matthew 12, in verse number 23. First, let's look at Luke 22:3. Then Satan entered Judas, surnamed Iscariot, who was numbered among the twelve. Think about who this is in reference to. Judas was an apostle. Judas was with Christ for over three years. Judas was a person... Uh, that people trusted. He carried the treasury for the work that was going on during the personal ministry of Christ. And yet Satan had an influence on this individual. It says here that Satan entered Judas. We remember that Satan sold out, that he identified Christ so that they could come arrest Him and take Him to be crucified. And ultimately, Judas committed suicide because he allowed Satan to come into him and to enter his heart. What about Job? This is an Old Testament example. Let's remember how God described His servant Job. He said, Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered My servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God, And shuns evil. What a recommendation, and not from men, but from God. God said he was blameless, he was upright. Did this deter Satan from wanting to try to enter Job and to destroy him? Satan did not shrink back because he was dealing with a righteous man. We continue to read, and he still holds fast to his integrity although you incited me against him to destroy him without cause. So Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yes, all that a man has he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand, but spare his life." Slaten, uh, Satan was not deterred at all when God said this was a righteous man. And thankfully, Job held up under the temptation. Job was a righteous man, and even with all of the things that came to him in his environment, all of the tragedy in his life, he continued to serve God. Our point is that Satan is not afraid of anyone Back to the the verses that we read in the parable, Satan said, I will return to my house. Okay, think about this. This person had done well. He had cleaned his house up. He had set it in order, the Bible says. He had put Satan out of this house. That individual thought it was his house or his heart. But Satan said, I'm going to return to my house. You see, he was not afraid to go back and to keep trying. To be tenacious about the temptation that would be brought against this individual. In Luke 4, verse 13, this is the account where Christ was in the wilderness being tempted of Satan. Satan tested Christ when he was very weak. He tested him in the three main categories of temptation. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. And Christ was strong. He had God's Word in his heart. And with each temptation, he responded with, It is written. Christ very firmly defeated Satan. Satan knew who Christ was. He knew very well. The Bible tells us here, after that point of temptation, the devil ended and he departed for how long? Did he depart permanently? He didn't. He departed until an opportune time. And we know as we study the life of Christ that at every step, Satan was there to tempt Christ. In fact, the Bible tells us in Hebrews 4 verse 15, "...for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Satan was relentless when it came to tempting Christ. And even to the point of Christ's crucifixion on the cross, Satan was there moving things to happen so that Christ would be sacrificed, and he thought in that that he would be ultimately victorious, and he did not understand that that was the victory over Satan. Even though Christ was crucified and he died, on the third day he arose, and he defeated Satan, he defeated death. But that did not stop Satan from trying to overcome even our Savior, Jesus Christ. In Luke 22, verse 31, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan, has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. I want to ask you something. As wheat is being cleaned, as the chaff is being blown out of that wheat and it's being sifted, does that wheat have any control? It's in the control of the one it's sifting. Remember Peter who bragged, I will go to my death for you, Christ. I will never deny you. Christ said before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. This is the context where Christ gave Peter the warning. He said, Satan wants to sift you as wheat. Peter had developed pride about his standing and what he was going to do and how strong he was going to be. That was the vulnerable point where Satan came in, and he sifted him just like wheat. By the time that rooster crowed three times, or by the time the rooster crowed, Satan had denied Christ three times. This is his power. This is the one that we are dealing with. This is the one that we must not be uninformed of his devices. In James 4, verse 7, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Here's the formula that God gives us. We have to embrace God, submit to God, strive to be as much like our Savior as we can be. And when we do that, Satan will flee, just as he fled from Christ. But this does not say that he will not try to come And move back in if our house is left empty. We have to fill our heart. We have to be completely subject and submitted to Christ. And at times when we stumble and fall as a committed disciple of Christ, we have to get back up and we have to keep trying. And when we're able to do that, God gives us the ability to continue to defeat Satan. Notice this statement For false Christ and pro- false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. Do we see the truth in this? Judas, an apostle. Job, a blameless and upright man. Peter, an apostle the one who was given responsibility to preach the first gospel sermon later after the ascension of Christ, Jesus Christ Himself, the perfect Son of God, all-powerful, completely full of grace and truth, Satan will work to deceive. And certainly if He will seek to deceive these characters in Scripture, He's going to be working to deceive us. We do not grow to a point that we're above the temptation of Satan. He always considers our heart something that belongs to Him if we open it up and allow Him to enter. Number two, He findeth it empty. You know, God's work in creation, as we turn all the way back to Genesis 1 and 1, He created things and He filled a void, an emptiness. That's what God does. He fills emptiness with things that are good. And He did that. We read in Job 26, verse 7, "...He stretches out the north over the empty space, and He hangs the earth on nothing." What God can feel of emptiness in a physical state, as He did in creation, is what He is seeking to do in our heart. His redemptive plan that was put in place before this earth was created, was put in place so that over time, that plan would be brought to fruition by Jesus Christ. It would be perfected and completed And we, who live now in the Christian age, would have opportunity to be filled with God. Remember what God wants us to do as individuals of choice? He wants us to choose Him and to be committed and diligent to be filled with Him. That's His desire for all people. The Bible teaches us that God would have all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. To be filled with the truth that that God is. And to resist the lies that Satan is. And so we have to look to become a disciple of Christ to be filled with all the fullness of God. Jeremiah 1 verse 10, In the time of the prophet See, I have this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out, to pull down, to destroy, to throw down, to build, and to plant. I want you to notice something very important. And this is one passage in the Old Testament. And as we read all of God's message to His people, there is a time to root out. There's a time to pull down. There's a time to destroy This is a very, very important part of our service to God. When we repent, then we change who we are, and we transform from the old man to the new man. And one half of that process, if you want to look at it that way, is to take the evil out. But sometimes we forget the second part of that process that is just as important. It's taught over and over in Scripture. We have to, once we tear the bad out, we have to fill it up with the good. Otherwise, our heart's going to look like that house that's falling down because of time and because of elements and because it was left empty without maintenance and it's destroyed. That is our heart. We need to be sure that we build and that we plant once we have taken the bad out. Here's a very, very simple example of that. What does a drunk person, a person given to drunkenness, need to do? We know that drunkenness is condemned in the Bible. It's a sin. Paul said to the Ephesian Christians, he said, "...and do not be drunk with wine." in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. What does the 12-step program, Alcoholics Anonymous, what, what do they do? Certainly they advocate stopping the drinking, but the majority of what they do is they want you to put the right things into your life to take the place of all the time and the resources and the focus that you've put into this thing that is destructive to your life. I would submit to you today that these 12-step programs are successful because they're based on Bible principles. That we have to put God in our life. We have to put our Creator there. We have to look to Him and use Him for strength. We have to connect with our Savior, Jesus Christ, And to remember that He takes our sin away. But not only is He our Savior, He's our Lord. And He's asked us to do certain things. He said, if you love Me, you will obey Me. So it's not just about receiving the benefits of having a Savior, but it's about complying with the things that He's asked us to do. The Holy Spirit has said we need to lay aside drunkenness. And we need to be filled instead with the Spirit. Here's a more general statement. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Can we overcome evil because of our inner strength? A lot of counseling today that we see around us in the world, it's all about behavior modification. And if you're strong enough and you can be committed enough... You can be disciplined enough that you can modify your behavior. If we don't have Christ and God at the center and giving us the ability and the motivation because of our love for our God and for our Savior, for our fellow man, we are not going to have the strength that we need. We have to put away that evil. We have to look at God's Word and determine what is good. And we need to put that back. Being filled with the Spirit to overcome drunkenness. What, what's being filled with the Spirit? Turn over to Galatians chapter 5 and read about the fruits of the Spirit. All of those characteristics that are good. Turn to Philippians 4 and start reading there in verse, about verse 8 and read about all of these things that we're to think on. We're to put the evil out and we're to put the right thoughts in. And you see, that's the process whereby we understand who Satan is, we understand how he works, we understand who God is and what His commandments are, and we seek to put good back and to overcome evil with good. What did Christ say in the Sermon on the Mount in what we call the Beatitudes? Blessed are those who who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Do you love the truth? Are you a truth seeker? Paul wrote in Second Thessalonians, If we do not have a love for the truth, we'll be sent a, draw, a strong delusion to believe a lie. Some people say they want God and they want to follow God, but they love their own agendas, their own ideas, their own truth, more than they love the righteousness and the holiness and the truth, THE truth, absolute objective truth that comes from God. That's how we know if we're going to be filled with righteousness. It it consists of this truth that comes from God. It consists of all the things that we have specifically in the New Testament that directs us and shows us that path that we want to travel to heaven. Are we consistently seeking after that righteousness, that truth? Are we wanting to be filled because we hunger for that? Or are our interests in other places or our priorities in other places. We open up and we allow Satan to come in and to take a part of our heart, and he will take full advantage of that if it is not filled with the righteousness of God. The third phrase that we want to emphasize from this parable, the last state is worse than the first. So let's go back and review Verse 45, Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell there, and the last state of that man is worse than the first. So shall it also be with this wicked generation. To me, this is the saddest statement that we have in the whole parable. You know, one devil is bad enough. It's certainly incremental success to clean your house and kick that one devil out. But to leave your house empty, and for Satan to still consider it his house, and then to come back and bring seven evil friends, Christ says this is worse than the first. Emptiness is very dangerous. And the most dangerous thing about it is nothing will remain empty for very long. We see that in these dilapidated structures that have been left without maintenance, have been left empty. It's not very long till the elements, until nature begins to work. The the rain comes in, there's a leak, it, it penetrates, it begins to rot bring about destruction within the internal part of that structure. Without any kind of maintenance, that just continues and continues. And the end result is there's nothing there that's going to hold that structure together and it completely falls down. An empty heart, an empty mind, an empty life reacts like an empty house. Nature or human nature or the natural course of things, if we're not here making a choice for God, if we're not proactive and intentional about making that choice, then we are going to naturally go the other way. Do you know we don't have to do anything to follow Satan? We can be neutral, we can just sit. And Satan will come in just like that rain penetrates the structure of that house, and that will begin to corrupt, and it will continue to corrupt. And one day, our life, our soul, will be destroyed and lost. That's how important it is that we don't allow our heart to remain empty. We do not want to respond to God through obedience to the gospel, to defeat Satan through the blood of Christ, and to stand justified before God, and then let nature take its course, take us away from God, and allow ourselves to lose our standing and the blessings that God brings into our life. In Matthew 23, verse 23, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees! hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. I want you to consider the Pharisees for a moment this morning as we think about someone who left their heart empty. Their surface looked really, really good. They were, they were taking uh, a tithe, a very small garden spices. And they were emphasizing how important that was. They were leaving the weightier matters of the law. And sometimes we want to polish up the exterior. We want to look very righteous. We want to appear to be doing what God wants us to do. All the while, Satan's working on the inside of us. How did Christ describe these Pharisees in another place? He said, your tombs, you look very good on the outside, but on the inside you're full of dead men's bones. Or the decayed, rotting, physical part, the inside, was destroyed. And I would submit you to you today, if you go back and study the history of, of these people and these religious hierarchy of that day, they were not filling their heart with who God truly was. They were allowing pride to come in. They wanted to be seen as righteous. In the reality, they were not. We need to be very, very careful that we do not follow this same process. Any person that considers themselves religious stands to be tempted and caused to become self-righteous, to become hypocritical, and to be brought away from God. We need to look at our heart. We need to see where it's at. We need to be willing to evaluate it like God evaluates it. And if we see that Satan is in our heart and working to grow in our heart, then we have to make changes and come back to our our God, and our Savior. Matthew 25, 35-36. These are words of Christ. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came unto me. Whether or not God is working in our heart and who is dominating our heart, can be determined by the fruit that we bear. Christ very plainly stated that back in Matthew chapter 7. He said we can see who people really are by their fruit. These Pharisees, they wanted to be seen as righteous, but their fruit was not righteous. What about you and I? Are our actions and the way we live our life every day the way we seek to serve as Christ served, the way we love our God first with all our heart, soul, body, and mind, the way we love our neighbor as ourselves What's the true reflection of that? This is going to be called into judgment on that final day. That's what this is. This is a judgment scene. Christ separated the, the goats and the sheep. The goats did not live a life of service that reflected Christ and the things that they spoke and the actions that they took, and they were condemned eternally. Those on the right, the sheep, they were living this type of life. And it was shown clearly that they loved God, they loved their neighbor, that, Christ, that God was in their heart, and that they were allowing God to direct them rather than, than themselves are the, the temptations of Satan. I want to share this last verse with you, 2 Peter 2. To me, this is the very strongest language that tells us that once we become a child of God, we are not permanently going to go to heaven without living the right kind of life. Peter says here, For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are entangled, or again entangled in them and overcome, the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. I want you to notice this very similar wording for Matthew chapter 12, verse 45, and here in the teachings of Peter. These people obeyed the gospel. There's only one process that will cause us to escape the pollutions of the world, and that's to obey the gospel, to hear the teaching of Jesus Christ, to believe that He's the Son of God, to have deep faith in that that will move us to repent, to confess, and to be baptized. The New Testament teaches us that that's how we escape the clutches of Satan how we change from being a slave of sin to becoming a slave of righteousness. Romans 6, verse 17 and 18. So that is the process that these people had went through. They had escaped. But look what Peter says, they are again entangled. This isn't just a stumble along the way. This is turning back to the world. Allowing Satan to clutch the heart and to entangle us and to trap us so that we are imprisoned in sin. And when that happens, what does Peter say? For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known the way to turn from that holy commandment delivered unto them. Known the way of righteousness, having known it, than to turn away from it. That's what this man did, Mr. Clean. He cleaned his house up. He turned back because he left it empty, and these seven spirits came in. And I would declare today that if one spirit was bad, seven are worse, and seven would certainly demonstrate this entanglement back in the world. Verse 22, But it has happened to them, according to the true proverb, a dog returns to his own vomit in a sow, having washed to her wallowing in the mire. Very, very unpleasant comparisons to those that escape, come to Christ, have the right relationship with Him, and then turn back again. This is our warning. This is why Christ wanted in our mind, to see an empty house and to understand the destruction that comes to an empty house. I will return. He findeth it empty. The last state is worse than the first. Unoccupied souls get haunted. That empty heart that was a good heart, left empty, is going to be haunted by Satan. The question is for each and every one of us today, are we filling our heart with God? Are we seeking to be filled to the fullness or are we trying to do both things? Are we trying to have enough of God that we're okay there and we're we're leaving an opening there for this world? Christ very plainly stated we can't serve two masters. Here is, is the way the Bible demonstrates these hearts. One that was left empty, that is now filled with Satan, or one that's filled with Christ. Will you fill your life with Christ? This morning we're going to leave, uh, give an invitation If you've been taught and you would like to obey the gospel and become a child of God, begin this walk with Him, we would encourage you to take advantage of this opportunity and come forward this morning. If you're a disciple of Christ and you've become lax in your commitment and your heart is not fully engaged and given to your Lord, you would like to have the prayers of the church to encourage you to help fill that heart with the fullness of Christ. We stand willing and ready, the church, to pray for you, to uh, encourage and assist you in that way. If we can help you, please come forward as we stand and sing the song that's been selected.